Well, it's 70 degrees here in the valley today, and you can start to feel that warm breeze, which, which makes it feel like baseball season a little bit. Welcome in. Today is Friday, March 26th, and this is another edition of the Baseball in the Valley podcast by the Daily News Record. I'm Greg Medea, sports writer at the DNR, joined alongside by David Driver, the sports editor at the news record. It's good to be with you all again on this edition of the podcast as we're inching closer toward the major league baseball season. College baseball season is in full swing. So it's good to be with you. I got a lot to talk about today. First, David, good to see you as we're as we're taping this via Zoom. Uh, you guys get the audio only because you don't get the you don't need to see our mugs. But how are you, David? What's going on? Good to see you. And of course, I, I like seeing your your Mets pennant in the background. That's always a, a good thing. Uh, wishful thinking and, and things like that. So good to see you, Greg. And we'll, yeah. we'll get, and you may be surprised later on when we talk about our major league predictions. So yeah, we, we will have some predictions late in the show. That's what we'll wrap up with today. Because we will talk some Major League Baseball. You'll hear from Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com and the Nats Chat Podcast. Beat writer covers the Washington Nationals for MassInSports.com. So you'll hear from him. We, we figured it, it's appropriate to get Mark on and have somebody who, who's around the Washington Nationals right now as they're getting ready to start their Major League Baseball season. So you'll hear from Mark a little later on. We'll talk about some of the ties, guys from, from our area who have been, have had stints in our area in the Valley League or, or whatever. Touch on them a little bit, but we'll start today with college baseball because the college baseball season is in full swing. As I mentioned, you've got here locally, of course, James Madison, Eastern Mennonite, and Bridgewater College, Division One, and then two Division Three Old Dominion Athletic Conference programs. I want to start with JMU because something happened with the Dukes that just doesn't happen all that often at any level of baseball. And, and David, how about this? Travis Reef Snyder in their most recent game, they played uh, against VMI at VMI on March 14th. Reef Snyder hit three home runs in the same game. Pretty outstanding accomplishment. He's just the 11th player in James Madison history to do it. And you're talking about a program that, that dates back quite a bit. I think in my story, I'd wrote 2,000 games almost. Yeah, which is pretty yeah. incredible <laughs> to think about. Yeah, no, you had some really good stuff in your story. You tied in some of the major league greats that had never hit three home runs, which that was all new information to me. And I believe that was his first three homers of the year and his career. Yeah, that's that's correct. You've got that spot on. I mean, really good reporting, Greg. I mean, you would think if, you know, if somebody would hit three home runs, you would probably think it would be DeLauder, right? I mean, that would be the, the safe pick after we seeing him last summer and uh, playing in Harrisonburg. So, yeah, really interesting story. And, uh, you know, it was really interesting, your comments from Travis about just, you know, he, he didn't have a good game the day before. He struck out several times. And, you know, that's the beauty of baseball, right? It, there's always the next day. So really good story, really good uh, game for him. Yeah, he was he was 0 for 6 the day before with five punch outs. That's that's a day to forget. And he said that's what that's what his parents had told him after the game is, is they made the trip uh, to Lexington to see him is, you know, just don't worry about it. Shake it off. You know, you've been doing this a long time, playing baseball for a long time. Just 
just let it roll off your back. And then he said, Eikenberry, the JMU coach, had told them the same thing. And his hitting coach, Alex Guerra, had said the same thing. He, he took it to heart. It paid off. And I think they needed him, too, because they had some, you know, regulars out of the lineup. And, and they, they trusted him again to go out there and swing it. And, and he did with three home runs in the same game. And he, he was a Broadway Bruin this summer, too, with the Lauder. But yeah, I, if, if you would, David, just to go back to your point, if you would have had to pick anybody in the JMU lineup to hit three bombs in the same game, it'd probably be DeLauder. Uh, they took two or three from VMI in the first game of that series. DeLauder hit an opposite field home run. I was there that Thursday. He did that. And just talking to some people, there are people going to James Madison games to see him, to see the Reef Snyders who had a stint in a county league this summer. And I, I think that's something so interesting and so different for, for JMU this year is people want to show up because they're a little more familiar with the players on a roster. No, that's a really good point. I mean, if you look at the rosters of, of uh, say, Bridgewater and EMU, they have a bunch of county and city products and mostly in-state, whereas JMU recruits, obviously, up and down the East Coast. But, yeah, I think that, that helps – um, certainly JMU people feel more connected uh, when they see players that have a local connection. I mean, they may not be from local high schools, but that's a good point, Greg. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I think it was, and I, I don't think he'd mind me saying this on the podcast, is Eikenberry told me that he's had some youngsters in town just show up at practice to watch the Lauder hit. Uh, <laughs> so that, I think that's, uh, that's pretty cool and something different for, for JMU that they have not had in their program uh, really in, in recent years, I would say. Uh, so I, I know it was a first for Eichenberry and he was a little surprised, like, whoa, people are showing up to watch his practice. That's that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that is neat. That's a good story. Yeah, no no doubt about it. JMU, just to, to kind of give you a state of where they're at, they're three and six overall. They took two of three in their most recent series at VMI, against VMI. The first game was in Harrisonburg. The next two were down in Lexington. So that's where JMU was. And then they got paused uh covid covid stuff so their their series at elon for last weekend was postponed they were supposed to play elon this weekend that's not happening either apparently though that's not because of covid issues at at jmu the dukes said they can play and that they're actively searching for an opponent elon I don't know if maybe Elon didn't want to travel to JMU, if JMU wasn't going to travel to them. So I, I think there's a little bickering going on back and forth. That's at least what it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that Elon and JMU in, in various sports, it's, there's been some uh, interesting things going on. And yeah, um, back and forth, you know, we don't know all the particulars. But I think the big picture here, Greg, and you would agree, is that, you know, JMU needs to be playing baseball. I mean, yep this is a sport as a hitter, you need to play every day or as much as possible. And, and this is not good. I mean, whatever they're not playing, I mean, JMU needs to be playing baseball. We saw it during the basketball season. Shane talked a lot about the CA basketball and some sportsmanship going on there and scheduling. So, I mean, the bottom line is, you know, you want to get these games in and for JMU to be on pause for whatever reason is not good. These guys need to be playing every day. Yeah, no, no doubt. And that, that's pause from games. I've heard they've been practicing. Uh, so that's kind of where they're at. They, they're, they're healthy enough to play games. Uh, so we'll, like we mentioned, you know, just something going on with the scheduling quirks of this weird abbreviated schedule. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, so that's where, where James Madison is at to give you an eye on the Dukes. But 
Uh, this week, two local teams did play against each other. Uh, David, you talked to Ben Spots at Bridgewater, Adam Posey at EMU. Eastern Mennonite beat BC 16-7 on Wednesday. If you like offense, uh, <laughs> it's probably your type of game, right? Yeah, a lot, a lot going on there. Um, the, I guess big picture, first time they've played since 2019, which this meant that this was the first time that Coach Spots faced his former team. Um, Spots was the head coach at Eastern Mennonite for seven years. One of his assistants was Adam Posey, who's now the head coach for the Royals. So you had that storyline. You know, Bridgewater jumped out early. They were ahead four to nothing, I think, after the first two innings. And, and EMU stormed back, uh, you know, just their top three hitters, you know, as we had in the, in the news record, their top three hitters combined for eight hits and, and, and eight runs and I think drove in five. And those are all three players that Ben Spots recruited to EMU. So um, really, really interesting story. Um, you know, it's only one game. Obviously, they'll play at Bridgewater in April, midweek game as well. Um, both of them are on the road this weekend. Bridgewater is at Ferrum. Um, and Ferrum actually has a bunch of county and products. Uh, EMU is at Lynchburg. Um, and EMU played Ferrum last weekend. And, and Ferrum is, is one of the top you know, was picked to the top part of the ODAC. So, um, so yeah, uh, good weather. Uh, finally, both coaches talked about that. Um, defense was not so great on, on Wednesday. Um, maybe the weather, EMU was playing small ball, doing a lot of bunting, putting some pressure on Bridgewater. But, um, yeah, it was just good to see those teams back in action. Yeah, the Eastern Mennonite, I think, has got a couple of standouts that I did want to mention. Brett Lindsay. And Jalon Lee is, are, are part of that top of the lineup that, that Posey rolls out there. Lindsey's hitting 389 for the year. Jalon Lee, I think, I think he's had limited at bats early, but he's got a home run already and five RBIs. And if you remember back a couple of years ago, I think it was the eight, I want to say it was the 18 or the 19 season, the 19 season. I think Lee was, you know, near the tops of division three in home runs. Um, I, I wrote a longer feature on him then, but I, I think that Eastern Mennonite program, it, maybe people sleeping on, on the Royals a little bit. I, I think you're right. I mean, Adam was really um, diplomatic after the game, but I, you could tell that, you know, Bridgewater was picked to finish much higher than EMU or a little bit higher in the ODAC. And so I guess you could call it an upset if there's such a thing in baseball, but like Adam said, he feels like they play really good baseball Um a lot of good in-state players that they've recruited. Um, both programs have. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think for Posey to you – know, he's not going to come out and say, hey, it was nice to beat Ben, you know. But um, I think it was more important that they beat Bridgewater, which is a really solid program, and, and EMU feels like they have a solid program as well. Yeah, EMU 3-2 and two overall, 3-2 and two in the ODAC. Bridgewater 4-3 and three overall and 3-2 and two in the ODAC at this point. So – Royals and Eagles off to decent starts here you know, early in their season in 2021. As David said, EMU is at Lynchburg and Bridgewater is at Ferrum. So that kind of gives you a look of, of where those programs are. And, and I guess I guess just the one, the one thing I'll ask you in regard to those two, it seems like early in the Division Three season every year, and I kind of I always see I always kind of notice this is you're you're just waiting for some pitching. Uh, to, to develop a little bit. Eastern Mennonite has a good one in John Judy, who pitched for Broadway, was on that team with DeLauder and Reef Snyder in the RCBL. But other than that, is there, do you have any feel for the pitching there and, and how long it could take with either of those teams for, for the pitching to get right? 
Yeah, that's a good uh, good question, Greg. And I asked both coaches about that. You know, um, and you're used to covering JMU in Division One, where you need three starting pitchers uh, for weekend series. At the Division Three level, you're this year at least you're playing a doubleheader on Saturday, so you're looking for a number three starter for a Wednesday game. And um, you know, we talked about that with with both coaches and um, EMU started a pitcher on Wednesday, uh, Nagel, that didn't have a lot of experience starting, but they wanted to give him a shot, see how he did. Uh, and then they brought in a reliever who's had experience, um, you know, last year as a starter. So, yeah, so for the Division Three programs, it's a, it's a matter of finding that really good third starter. Whereas, you know, in, in Division One, you know, you, you want a fourth starter for the midweek games. And, and the other interesting thing is, you know, these midweek games for the ODAC are conference games. And so yep. they – they, they matter, matter more. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. So for both programs um, and, and coach uh, Posey, the EMU admits that his pitching staff is a little bit thin. So that was a really nice win for them. They got four innings of relief from, from their sophomore that came in. So yeah, it's a very good point. Um, it, and at the division three level, especially this year, you want to have at least three good starters. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's certainly something to think about as, as those two squads getting the, the thick, of, of their schedule. Well, David, normally we would start this segment talking about the former Eastern Mennonite standout ODAC star, Eric Kratz. We would normally be talking about this major league, minor league ties to the Valley. We would start with him. He'd be the first guy we talk about because he's been, he's been the local standout that, that you always want to keep up with. He is retired. Uh, he's not playing baseball anymore finished his career with the Yankees. So we have to find some other folks to, to, to write about and, and, and get their names in the paper now that Kratz has stepped away for, from Major League Baseball. And congrats to Eric on a, on a terrific long career. I, I don't know if you want to say a word or two about it before we move into the, the segment about the guys with ties in the minor leagues and major leagues in spring training right now or getting ready for the major league season. But Kratz, hell of a career. Yeah, I actually did text him a couple of days ago, and uh, he was going on vacation with his wife, a surprise vacation, um, which obviously for, for what, the last 20 years in March, he has not been able to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. What a career. He played in the Valley League, right? I think with yep. two different teams. Um, obviously, Mr. Miller, not from, yeah. So, I mean, you know, he pitched in the major leagues a couple of times. Uh, one of the few catchers to catch at age 40, um, in the major. So yeah, quite a, you know, it's interesting. He didn't play in the major leagues until like his 10th season. That's correct. Um, so he played from age 30 to about age 40. So yeah, sure. There was wear and tear on his knees catching in the minor leagues, but um, in some ways he's certainly a late bloomer in many ways, but yeah, what a great career. And, and it'll be interesting to see what he does in the future. He could go into broadcasting or coaching who knows. Oh, he, he could he could do it uh, really whatever he wants to, I think. And I'll never forget, I, I covered a series. I actually saw you up there when I was when I was covering when he was with the Giants. They played in D.C. I remember seeing you up there. But Kratz had, I think, the week before caught like an 18 inning game uh, for, for San Francisco. And I, I went down to the Giants locker room before the game to talk to him and a couple of players about him. And Buster Posey goes, Man, to do that, I think he was 30, Kratz was maybe 38 at the time. And he goes, to do that at 38, he goes, I hope I never have to do that at 38. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, wow. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I had the yeah. respect of everybody. Yeah, definitely. No doubt about it. So to, to fast forward and get into 
the guys uh, that, that have some ties to our area who will be in the major leagues and or, you know, high level minor league uh, at, at this point participated in spring training. I think I can kind of run you through the list of Valley leaguers. You, you, you probably know them at this point. Did a story on Mike Brasso of the Rays who played at Waynesboro in a Valley League back before the World Series. He, he played for Tampa, hit the home run off Chapman in the playoffs. That was a huge moment for him, pinnacle of, of maybe their season uh, before falling in the World Series to the Los Angeles Dodgers. You got Randy Dobnak, who played for Front Royal with the Twins at Newmarket. Brett Gardner played there, and he's been he's he's had a long career too, David, with the Yankees. Yeah, College of Charleston product, drafted out of college by the Yankees. He spent his whole career um, with them. There was, you know, there was kind of questions whether they would sign him again, um, you know, to a one-year deal. But, you know, that, that outfield, you know, he'll, I'm sure they'll find a spot for him, an elite runner, right? I mean, just oh, yeah. his, his speed has been a big part of his game. Yeah, no, he's been he's been a very good player for them, and it, it and that's one of those players that it would be hard to imagine him and imagine him in another uniform, right? I've been with the Yankees for so long. Emilio Pagan, former Turks player, he's with the San Diego Padres. You got Ryan Yarbrough, who is with the Rays, like Brousseau, played at Lou Ray. Uh, Nate Pearson, I think top top Blue Jays prospect, right? One of the top prospect for Toronto. Yes, yeah, he, mm-hmm. he played for Stanton. So you got a number of guys and, and, and even further to look kind of at the schools in our area, Tyler Zombro, who I guess pitched at the former Ari Lee. I think that's appropriate to say. Yeah. yeah. Former Ari Lee high with the, he's with the Tampa Bay Rays in their spring training, Nick Robertson, former James Madison closer. He's been with the Dodgers throughout their spring training. I, I don't think he, he'll make the team there, but he he's been with them. And that says a lot for a guy who, who only played a, a short season with, in the organization. Yeah, no doubt about it. I don't I don't think he's on the 40-man. I don't think JMU has anybody on a 40-man. But, um, you know, he could be at the alternates. You know, I don't know. I, I would guess that he might start at double-A maybe. I mean, he was at Instructional League. That would be a big jump to, to go to double-A. Um, but, yeah, he's really – they must be really high on Robertson. Um, he, he's really been impressive for them. The fact he didn't play in the minors last year um, right. is he, he definitely did his work. Uh, I talked to him a little bit. He worked out in Roanoke at his high school. He came up to JMU to work with the Duke some. So he, he certainly has put in his work and used his time well. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I think he's made three appearances for Los Angeles in Cactus League play this spring. Zombro, I know, has, has made three appearances. It hasn't gone maybe as well as he's wanted it to. Uh, but but three appearance for the Rays in Grapefruit League play this spring, nonetheless. You you think he he starts the year where it, at what's what's the Triple A team Durham? For, for yeah, the- I, I think I think he, I mean, he even said that a couple of weeks ago. I mean he he feels like he'll start at Durham. I mean that's where he ended up 2019, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, he's you know he's given up some hits and some homers in spring training, but um, I think for him and a lot of players, it's just a matter of. of getting back to a minor league season and getting regular work. I mean, he worked out indoors in Northern Virginia um, in the winter. And um, so, yeah, I, I would think he would start at Durham. Yeah. I know that's where a, uh, a few of the JMU players have gone up to, what is it? R and D up there in yeah. Northern Virginia yeah. and worked out. And I know some of them know Zombro too. 
So very interesting. He, he's a former George Mason product, correct? Correct. Right. Yeah. Who was actually born in Harrisonburg and, and grew up in Augusta County. Um, so yeah. Um, and played for Stanton, I believe in the Valley League yep. as well. So. Yeah, no. So should be interesting. Any, with the way, and you probably have a better idea of this than me because you've covered Major League Baseball. You, you've been around the Nats, obviously. Know the O's well, too, in that AL East. With the, Ray, with the way the Rays kind of use their pitching and manipulate their roster, is there a shot that, that Zombro sees the big leagues this year? I mean, he's, what, age, age 26, 27? I'd have to look that up, but... Is, is there a shot that, you know, just because of the way they use their pitchers that, that he could he could find his way in a big leagues? I, I think so. Um, you know, don't haven't seen him in person, but yeah, I think you're exactly right. He And I talked to him a couple of weeks ago. He said, when you're with the Rays and you're a reliever, you need to be able to open the game. You need to be able to pitch the fourth inning and you need to be able to close. So if he can adjust, and by the way, the guy is really bright. He, he understands pitching from an analytical perspective. Um, he actually is an instructor. Uh, he's had a really interesting, you know, he, he's got a full-time job as an instructor um, as addition to being a pro baseball player. But yeah, he, I think he's the perfect type of person for the race. You have to, you have to be flexible. You can't be locked into one way of doing things. So I, I think he, if he has a good year at Durham, I think we could see him in the majors by the end of the year. So I guess from, from this little bit of a conversation on the snapshot of, of former Valley Leaguers, uh, area players in, in the majors or the high minors, I think the Rays are the team to watch, right? Brousseau, Yarborough, Zombro. If, if Yarborough and Zombro, I mean, if Zombro got good and, and pitched in the major leagues, they could put them back to back with Yarborough, maybe make a T-shirt or something, uh, have some fun with, with those two names. <laughs> Well, I mean, Greg, I'm a little biased. I mean, uh, the Rays, you know, could become a Virginia team. Um, Brandon Lowe uh, is a former Maryland Terp. He's from the Norfolk area. Um, I'm biased. My older daughter lives in Tampa, so uh, she's a big fan. So, yeah, the Rays have a number of, of Virginia connections. And, um, uh, you know, and, and their player development is really good. Their scouting and their minor league system, we've seen them overachieve. I was watching the Orioles last night and the broadcaster said the same thing. They said, you know, you know, you look at them on paper, they don't have a huge payroll, but it seems like every year they are there at the end. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah, yeah no, so. they, they always find a way to compete. Yeah. That's for sure. One other player I did want to mention as we get ready to transition into our conversation with Mark Zuckerman of Madison Sports Dot com is Will Harris. Uh, I know we talk about him a little bit with Mark during our conversation, but Valley League product. And, and I would say probably a tough situation for Will right now. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned him. I did get a chance to, to be on Zoom with him last year um, when he was available. And, uh, you know, when he was at Stanton, he was a two-way player. Uh, he was a third baseman and a pitcher. And um, he was at LSU. And Anyway, he's had a really great career. I mean, really consistent and durable, but now he's got a blood clot. And, um, you know, he, he certainly is not going to start the season. I think that's a given. So it's just a question of how long he's going to be out. So that, that really hurts the Nets bullpen. And, and Mark will talk about that in our conversation with him. Yeah, so let's get to that conversation with Mark Zuckerman. MassInSports.com covers the Washington Nationals. Also the host of the Nats Chat podcast. And he gets into it about the Nats. We kind of dive into everything and everything. So take a listen to the conversation David and I had 
earlier this week with Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. Baseball in the Valley podcast is happy to welcome in and continue the conversation about Major League Baseball ahead of Thursday's opening day with Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com and the Nats Chats, the Nats Chat podcast, the tongue twister, to talk all things Washington Nationals with us. Mark, first of all, thanks for joining us. How are you? My pleasure. You know, we, as we were coming up with the name for the podcast, we were a little bit worried. Does it, you know, would it be hard to say? But we thought, well, Nat's chat, it's kind of a nice, nice little rhyme to it. So we went ahead and did it. But yeah, it is a little bit tricky to say, but I'm doing well. I'm excited for baseball season. I think like we all are. Uh, it's been a long winter <laughs> and a long spring watching from afar. And I think we're just all ready to actually see some real baseball happening in front of our own eyes with some fans actually in attendance at last as well. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. What's what's been the reaction uh, with national players as as they've heard that that DC is going to allow fans at Nats, Nats Park? They're really excited. I mean, it, it was tough. They, they said all the right things last year. Uh, you know, they talked about, hey, you're professionally go out there and just do your job. But it, it was tough. Um, and, and without being there, it's hard to explain. It just felt different. It 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 was to me the most noticeable thing was not so much at the start of a game. But you get to maybe the eighth or ninth inning and, you know, it's a one run game. There's runners on second and third. It's a big spot in the game. And you had to almost remind yourself that this was, oh, this is a big moment. This is a lot's at stake here because they can pipe up the fake crowd noise as much as they want. It's just not the same thing. And so I, you know, I'm really curious to see now that fans are back, what effect it has on the actual performance of guys. And they would never come out and, and say that it, you know, led to their, uh, any struggles they had last year, but, you know, just having been there, I would not be surprised. I could understand why maybe they didn't quite have the same um, energy and enthusiasm and, and, you know, adrenaline that you get from a crowd being on hand. I just think about that. Somebody hits a home run and you hear the crowd kind of just at least, at least give something back when you do that in an empty ballpark. I'm sure, I'm sure it was definitely a little bit awkward uh, last, last season during a shortened 60 game season. Uh, the Nats, they, they look a little different with their lineup. The additions of, of Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber. How, how do you think that impacts the team? And, and does that give them a little bit of a deeper lineup behind Soto and Turner? You know, that's the hope. And they went into the offseason. They knew that the number one objective was uh, that they, they needed another big bat in the lineup. Um, they believe Josh Bell is that guy. Now, we'll see. Here's a guy who, if they get the 2019 version of him, that's fantastic. When he hit 37 homers. For the Pirates, if they get the 2020 version where he really struggled, could be a different story and they could be in some trouble. Uh, they also kind of the same thing with Schwarber. They, they bought him sort of low coming off a down year for the Cubs, but his 2019 version was fantastic. So that is the hope. They understand that they have two fantastic hitters in Trey Turner and Juan Soto. And the key is they have to maximize what they get from those guys. They didn't last year. As great as those two were, as a team, they just did not consistently score runs enough. And that's both because those two guys either weren't hitting with runners on base or they didn't have the protection behind them. You know, as Drupal Cabrera was the guy who wound up hitting behind Soto the most last year. And it got to a point that opposing team said, hey, we're just going to pitch around Soto. Uh, and he wound up with the most intentional walks in, uh, in the majors. So they really want to believe uh, that whoever it is, whether it's Josh Bell or even if it's Trey Turner batting behind Soto, in the lineup, that that will make a difference. And the idea is to maximize everything you can get from your two best hitters and especially from Soto. Mark, you know that the Nats have always built themselves around starting pitching. And we talked about this last time. Um, 
you know, can you count on Strasburg and Scherzer and even Lester to make 30, 35 starts this year? That's the big question. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and that's what they're counting on. And, you know, for a good decade now, this is how they've built their team uh, is behind starting pitching and not just one or two guys, but having a deep rotation of elite starting pitchers. And if you look at uh, pretty much every season since like 2012, when they first won their division, any year that they have gone to the playoffs, they've had like a top five rotation in baseball in terms of ERA. Any year they haven't, it's been worse. And last year it was in the 20s. It was way down. So they understand this is how they're built. This is what they're going to have to do. And the, the, there's not really a question about how talented these guys are. It's a matter of can they actually take the ball every fifth day and be there throughout the whole season. So, uh, yeah, that that's going to be the key. Do they make their 30 starts or so? I, you always understand that there are going to be little things that pop up. And, and Strasburg, I guess in 2019, he did it. Um, more often than not in his career, he's good for maybe 25 starts or so. I think they would be okay with that. Obviously, they'd like more. They'd be okay with it. John Lester, really great track record, 30-plus starts every year, and that's what they're counting on from him. They know he's not the uh, you know the ace Red Sox or even the ace Cubs pitcher of a few years ago in terms of you know how many innings you're going to get or, or how dominant the performance is going to be, but they know he's gonna, a guy who's going to take the ball every fifth day and give you a chance to win. And more than anything, he's a guy they want on the mound in September and maybe October for some big games. He is a big game pitcher. That's what they're counting from, from him. So far, everything's looked great. I mean, sure. Uh, uh, Strasburg and Lester had a little bit delayed starts. You know, Strasburg came off the, uh, uh, the carpal tunnel surgery from last year. Lester had a kind of bizarre situation where he had to leave camp and get one of his parathyroid glands removed, but by all accounts, Everything's good there. Scherzer had a sprained ankle at the start of camp, but he's caught back up. He's good to go for opening night. So, you know, they're confident about these guys. Of course, you never know what happens over the course of the season. And I do worry a little bit about their depth if guys go down. I don't think they're built to withstand that. Um, so, yeah, of those four, maybe they don't need 30 starts from all of them, but they need close to it uh, if they're going to have a chance to win this year. You brought up the back end of the rotation, you know, you know, the Nats are known for developing pitchers, and we're hearing about Rutledge and Cavalli. They might be years away. What about Austin Both, Joe Ross, Eric Fetty, these guys that are kind of on the bubble, it seems like, every few years? Yeah, I, I feel like every spring we have this same com competition. It's Ross and Both and Fetty for the fifth starters job, and to this point, not one of them has just, you know, seized it and said, I'm going to be the guy. They're really high on Joe Ross. He's looked good this spring. You know, he sat out last year by his decision. He didn't really know what the effect of that was going to be. We'll find out more as the, the season plays out, but it, it seems like he's right back to where he was. Um, I, you know, they haven't announced it yet as we're taping this, but I do believe he will be the fifth starter. Uh, Voth has been very up and down. He can be great for a few innings and then kind of lose it next time around. I think that's why some wonder if he might be best suited as a reliever where he's only going a couple innings instead. And Fetty, again, he has his moments sometimes, sometimes not. The, the thing I've noticed there is they really feel like he is best served pitching every fifth day, no matter what. So whether that's in the big leagues or in at AAA, that's what they want him to do. I don't think they want to put him in a situation where he's yo-yoing back and forth between roles. I think they'd rather have him pitch every fifth day and then be called upon when they need him. But you know, they're all going to pitch at some point. We know that you don't get through a season with only five starters. They're the first ones on the list uh, to fill in. So they need it. 
You mentioned Rutledge and Cavalli from the little bit that we've been able to see them this spring. They do look impressive, maybe more so than some of the other uh, first round picks that they've put out there that haven't panned out quite the same way, but really, really inexperienced. And they know that those guys need time. It's going to be tempting if they're pitching well to try to rush them through the system. But, you know, they really haven't had any minor, legitimate minor league experience. And so they need to get them on that program, pitching every fifth day, get comfortable with all that. But the hope would be that within a couple of years, we may be seeing one or both of them. And there's maybe a little more optimism about them than some of the first round picks of maybe the previous five years or so. Again, Greg, Greg Medea, David Driver here on a Baseball in a Valley podcast, joined by Mark Zuckerman, Mass in Sports, and, and the Natch Chat podcast. You said all right. Good job. I did. And, and on the latest episode, it had Max Scherzer on. I thought it was a really wide-ranging, thoughtful interview, full of insight. I just kind of wanted to ask you, what, what's it like covering Scherzer on a daily basis who on the mound, you see this guy who is so competitive, ultra, ultra fiery. And then when you listen to a podcast or an interview, he's as thoughtful maybe as he is competitive. What's it like covering him day in and day out? Yeah, that's a great description of him. You know, um, for a long time, I've been covering this team since 2005. And for a long time, if somebody ever asked me, who's your favorite player to have covered? And, and I'm talking about both on the field and off the field. For a long time, my answer was Levon Hernandez because I loved watching him as a pitcher because he just did it such a different way than everyone else. And I also loved talking to him off the field because it was always interesting, always different. You never knew what he was going to say. Wasn't afraid to tell you what he really thought about something. Well, I think I've, I think he's been surpassed because Max Scherzer is my favorite now that I've covered. Um, obviously we know as a pitcher, he's just fantastic. And it's been a real treat to get to watch him uh, at his craft for now. It's unbelievable to say this for, for six years that he's been here. Um, but especially what you were just describing, the, the, uh, the breadth of his knowledge, his interest in all subjects pertaining to baseball and even some not pertaining to baseball. Uh, he is always interested in having that discussion. A guy who also is not afraid to tell you what he really thinks and a guy who, and I appreciate this, David, I know you'll appreciate this kind of thing too. He, uh, he wants good questions. You know, he, he's not just going to let you slide by with a bad question. He wants you to come prepared to an interview. He wants you to ask him something that maybe he hasn't thought of before or ask it in a way that he hasn't thought of before. Um, I, I love that back and forth with him. And I'll be really curious. I mean, he, he still says he's got a long way to go pitching wise. I, I don't think this is it for him, even though it's the last year of his contract. But I'll be really interested in long term what he ends up doing in baseball. He could do almost anything that he wanted. He certainly would be a, a great commentator. Uh, in some capacity, if that's where he wants to go with it. Maybe along those same lines, we should take advantage of your knowledge. I mean, like you said, you've been covering the team since it moved to Washington in 2005. I think you're obviously the, the probably the only person that has really covered them on a regular basis. You let's look at the managers. You've had you've got to deal with some really big personalities, borderline Hall of Famers. Uh, one of them is a Hall of Famer, and Frank Robinson. You could almost make a case that Dusty Baker and Davey Johnson, if they would have won a World Series here, maybe that would have put them in the World Series. Talk about some of the managers you've been able to cover, some of the stories that you've heard and what that's been like. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you what, we've been really blessed in that regard, too. And I know they've had seven of them. They've gone through a lot of managers over the years. Finally, they found one, Davey Martinez, who survived to make it to a fourth season. He's the first one to do that. Um you know, they have, they're not all on the same level in terms of their accomplishments, or even I'm sure what most fans would think of 
as managers. But from my standpoint, they've all been fantastic to deal with. And we've been really lucky to have such good uh, people in those uh, positions. Um, but for me, it all, it starts with Frank Robinson. And, you know, I went into that, I was probably 27, 28 at that point. Um, and here is the great Frank Robinson. He's already a hall of famer. He's already a seasoned manager and that can be an intimidating thing. And he knows that. And, and, and he, uh, tried to use that intimidation to his benefit. But what I also learned from a friend of ours, David, Tom Lavero of the Washington times, who had covered him way back in Baltimore, when he was manager. And he said, Frank's testing you. He's going to want to see if you can take that, take that punch. And can you give it back to him a little bit? And that's a tough thing as a 28 year old to be able to do. It's a little, uh, I'm not gonna lie. I was a little, little nervous about that. But once you kind of showed him that you weren't in awe of him, he didn't, he wanted you to just to treat him like he was anybody else. So once you showed him that, you were in with him, you were good with him. And that for two years to get to spend all that time talking with him um, and getting to know him was just a, a real, real treat for me. And something that whenever I'm done in this business, that'll be one of the first things that I think of that I was fortunate enough to do. But like I said, they've all been good. Manny Act is a fantastic human being. One yeah. of the best people I still talk to him whenever I get a chance. He's still uh, with the Mariners. Um, so he was great. Jim Riggleman, just really good, solid baseball person. Uh, Davy Johnson had a tremendous backstory and, and, and tales that he could tell and a really smart guy and wasn't afraid to let you know that he was the smartest mm -hmm. guy in mm -hmm. the room. Um, you know, Matt Williams, I know to the public didn't come across as well behind the scenes. I found him really engaging and interesting and funny. Even He just went when he would have to be in that position as an official, you know, managerial duty in a press conference or whatever else. I think he felt like he had to put a little bit of a wall in front of him and it didn't turn out well. And I think people maybe didn't get the real taste of who he was because of that. May, that may have some, had something to do with ultimately why he didn't succeed. But as a person, I liked him a lot, enjoyed him. Um, Dusty Baker, of course, uh, you know, there's nobody who's got more stories or has been through more in baseball than Dusty Baker. Uh, and, and that was, you know, really a treat. Uh, to get to cover him. And, and it was unfortunate the way that ended because you, you, you knew how much he really wanted to win and what it would have meant to him to win a title um, with this franchise. And then Davey Martinez, who um, has really grown into the position. You can see the difference from 2018 to now, how far he's come, how much more comfortable he is, how much more authoritative he is in being able to, to make decisions that are truly his and not just what uh, you know the front office is telling him to do. Um, a good, genuine human being who cares about people. And, and if you couldn't gather that in the 2019 season, then you, you really weren't getting what was going on. He may have had his faults when it came to X's and O's on the field. I think he's gotten better at that too. But from, from the beginning, uh, his players have loved him because of uh, the way he treats them, the way he earns their respect. And that's why even when things looked awful at 19 and 31, and even though there was a lot of reason to think that his job could be in jeopardy, I never really felt like it was on the verge of happening because I knew that he had the support of the clubhouse. And, yeah. you know, and yeah. now as we've seen, he's, he's lasted the longest out of all yeah. of them. So he must be doing yeah. something right. Yeah. I, I had just one more for you, Mark, and then I'll let Greg take it away. We try to be, you know, Shenandoah Valley centric, uh, Virginia centric here. So there, there are three players on the raw, at least three players on the roster now that have Virginia connections. And maybe you could talk a little bit about them as people and their, situation now of course Ryan Zimmerman you've, you've covered him his whole career uh, Daniel Hudson um, 
went, you know, is from Virginia, pitched at ODU. And then Will Harris, who played in the Valley League for the Stanton Braves, maybe update us him on his situation and uh, what that's going to mean to the bullpen. Yeah, let's start with Harris because that's been the newsiest thing here lately. Um, as we're recording this, we don't really know for sure what's going to happen. He, he They found a blood clot in his arm, in his pitching arm, and he's going to St. Louis to visit a specialist for that uh, and determine a course of action. And they don't really know exactly what that's going to mean other than it's pretty clear he's not going to be ready to start the season um, you know, on time. And this is something that's going to have to be taken care of. It could be more serious. It could be something that keeps him out for quite a while. And that would be um, certainly unfortunate because they signed him a year ago based on his track record with Houston, which was rock solid for a long time. Uh, I know Nats fans know him for giving up the Howie Kendrick home run game seven. It was a good pitch. It, it was down and away. It was all Howie sort of getting the bat to that and managing yeah, to hit yeah, it where yeah. he did. So, no, they, they've had high hopes for Will Harris all along. Last year it was, wasn't great, and obviously now he's going to miss the start of this season. Um, it's unfortunate, and it will have a domino effect on the bullpen. So everybody hopes, number one, that he's okay physically, and then number two, that he can get back uh, to pitching. Uh, Daniel Hudson is, gonna, is a guy who they're going to need more of uh, if Harris is out for any length of time. We know how great he was in 19. He was a godsend for them when they picked him up. Last year, not as great. He was really hurt by home runs. He didn't give up a lot of hits, but the hits he did give up tended to go over the fence. So um, he feels better. He feels like having had a full spring training instead of that rush job like they had last summer, that it'll make a big difference. Um, you know, but let's see. He, the pressure is going to be on him. If it's not closing, it's going to be in a setup role for Brad Hand. They need him to be very good. Uh, and then Ryan Zimmerman, I don't know what else there is to say about him at this point. It, it was very strange not having him out there last year for everyone that literally the first season in nationals history that he did not appear in a game and they felt it uh, on the field and in the clubhouse. And it's been interesting to see how re-energized he is, how much he realized he missed it. And I think there were some of us that wondered that ah, maybe he'll decide to walk away. Maybe, you know, a year with the family wasn't so bad. No, he realized, no, no, he really missed it. And not just to come back for one year, just as like some kind of victory lap, but he feels like he can keep playing for a long time. And to be in, in something of a reduced role where Josh Bell is now the everyday first baseman and he can start occasionally, he can be a pinch hitter off the bench. He still mashes lefties with the best of them. And then I think the, the, his real value is going to be as a late defensive replacement. Uh, and this is something they missed last year. You put him out there at first base, he saved so many errors from infielders on bad throws. Um, and so I think they feel like there's still a lot that he can do for them. He may not end up with, you know, 400 at-bats. That's not the goal going into this. But if he gets it gives him 200, 250 at-bats, comes up off the bench in some big spots and plays good defense for them late in games, he'll be more than worth the $1 million that they're paying him. And he'll probably feel like he can stick around for a few more years after this. He's been the face of that franchise since, since it moved to Washington. So it's good for Nats fans uh, to have him back in the fold for sure. Mark, we'll, we'll kind of wrap with this. A look at the NL East. That division is is loaded with the Braves, who who have been good uh, the past couple of years. The Nationals won a World Series in 19. The Phillies, who are trying to be good. The Mets, who are trying to be good. And the Marlins, who made the playoffs in, in the 60-game season. So how do you kind of look at that division? How does it stack up? Who, who do you see as the favorite? Who do you see as, as maybe somebody uh, that, that's being slept on a little bit? Well, so to me, this is the only division in baseball where all five teams in their own minds, at least, maybe not in everyone else's mind, but in their own mind, they believe that they can contend and make the postseason. 
And I think you have to take that seriously from all of them. Now, some are better positioned, I think, than others, but there's no other division where there isn't at least one team that's in full-scale rebuilding mode and not necessarily attempting to win this year. I know the Mets got all the attention this winter and, and the moves they made were significant. New ownership, Francisco Lindor is great. Uh, there's a lot of enthusiasm there. But I think people are sleeping on the Braves and I don't know why. They've won the division three years in a row. They have some of the best overall talent in the game, tons of young talent, both in their lineup and in their rotation. And I think we forget they were one win away from the World Series last year. They were up 3-1 on the Dodgers and kind of blew that series. <laughs> and we sort of gloss over that fact. They were right there with the best team in baseball. So um, I have no reason to think that they're going to take a step back. Now, does that mean they're guaranteed to win the division? No. But even in a worst case scenario, to me, they're going to be in contention. They're going to be in the race. So I put them in, in the, uh, the first class. I'd say the Nationals and the Mets are in that next class, which is to say things could go really well and they could win the division. Things could also not go well and they could end up even below 500 because there's a lot of combustible parts there that we don't really know. There's a lot of question marks on both sides. Let's see. Um, you know, either one has, is capable of being really, really good and winning 90 games, but things could also fall apart in either case. And we could be talking about 90 lost teams, unfortunately, in those. The Phillies have a great lineup. I'm just not sold on the pitching staff at all. It's Aaron Nola, and I'm not sure what else. You know, Zach Wheeler got a lot of money, and I never thought he was really that kind of pitcher. They've tried to revamp their bullpen, but uh, that was among the worst in baseball last year. I'm not convinced that that is going to be uh, improved enough for them. So they're going to score runs, but they're going to have to win games seven to six every night. And I don't know if they have that in them. So I, I'm a little more down on them. And the Marlins, the team that everybody always sleeps on, like you said, they made the playoffs last year. A lot of young talent, especially in their rotation. Um, probably I'm thinking people won't sleep on them quite as much this year. I, I could see them being a, a surprise that does prove that last year was not a fluke. The only thing that would concern me there is, you know, we saw them do it for 60 games. Can they do it for 162? Do they have the depth to overcome whatever injuries and things happen along the way? Um, do these guys get exposed when they start playing, you know, a full season? So that would be my one question with them. But I think I'd put them ahead of the Phillies right now. I wouldn't put them quite in the same class as the Nats and the Mets yet. Um, they could, like I said, if everything goes right. But I, I would not sleep on them, certainly. There are definitely no pushovers in this division. And like I said, I think this is the only division in baseball where you can say that. Should be interesting that the Nats will host the Mets opening day Thursday at Nationals Park. That should be uh, at least give you a little uh, energy out of the gate there with the NL East teams. And then two, I guess you'd call them semi-rivals at this point, Nats, Mets. I think the Mets got to win a little more for it to be considered a rivalry, right? <laughs> uh, so uh, Mark, thanks so much for, for joining the Baseball in the Valley podcast and uh, best of luck to you this season covering another season with the Nationals. And thank you again. My pleasure. Good to talk to you guys. Thanks, Mark. So good good to have Mark Zuckerman on. Uh, nice to hear his voice. And we're going to try to get somebody who covers the O's on too. So we're giving a little, little coverage to both as we get into the baseball season here. And they, these podcasts will become a little more regularly now that the season is, is, is getting to be in, in full swing. But Coming out of that conversation with Mark, I didn't want to touch on the NL East and the Nationals and, and just the situation there, David, because like Mark said, you've got five teams who legitimately think they got a shot to win the division. 
Yeah, no, that was a really interesting comment, and, and he's spot on. And Mark didn't say this, but you know, he is a veteran. He's covered the team since 2005. He's he's covered pretty much every pro sport in the Washington area. So a really solid guy. Went to Northwestern, by the way, in <laughs> Chicago. So we got the, the purple thing going on, even though he's not a JMU alum. But uh, Mark knows his stuff. Yeah, I mean, the NL East, um, it, you know, it should be really. You might not have a team win 95, 98 games out of the NL East, but you might have three or four teams finish over 500. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a really good division. Yeah, no, it, it certainly is. I know the Mets and Nats, they open up against each other. And those two teams, I, I think, will have some good battles. All these teams meet 19 times a year uh, with the way the schedule is. You've got the Phillies. And I, I, to me, the Phillies is kind of interesting hearing Mark's comments about it, too. It's just You've got Bryce Harper. You've got some other big-name players there. They brought back JT Real Muto, but you wonder about the pitching. Can the pitching hold up? Can the bullpen hold up? I know the Mets bullpen, having watched that putrid effort night after night, the Phillies were even worse. So uh, it, it kind of tells you that even though these teams all think they should be in it, there are some that probably feel they have to have a lot go right to be in it, right? Yeah, I, th I think you're right. The, the Phillies bullpen was a disaster last year. And Aaron Nola is is great uh, at the top of the rotation, but I think, you know, and Mark talked about this, you know, just you wonder about the depth of the Phillies pitching staff, and I guess a lot of people could say that. Um, the Mets obviously have some high-end guys. Um, yeah, it's going to be a really good division, and, and we'll get into this in a little bit. I mean, um, you know, the Braves, you know, obviously are, are going to be solid. So, yeah, it should be a really fun division to watch. Yeah, there are some terrific young players in this in this division. I think about Acuna and Albies with Atlanta. You think about Soto with the Nationals. And then you look at the Marlins and all their young pitching. There are some really exciting players. I think the Mets are maybe a little bit of an older team. Just, just in my opinion, I know Alonzo and McNeil are kind of newer newer players to the major league baseball scene but they're older guys Alonzo was a was a draft pick out of Florida so he went to college McNeil didn't make his debut until he was in his mid-20s so it's like with with this division you've got some real young teams up and coming talent you got a Mets team that's a little more veteran but, but probably younger than they've been in the past Washington's an old outside of Soto right would you say outside of Soto and Turner Washington's an older group too I, I really think they are and, and I think that could be uh, to their detriment, they, you know, they have some really good young pitching in the, in the minor league system, but they're all on the younger side. Some of them haven't played above low, low A. So they, I think they are an older, you know, Vic, we should throw in Victor Robles, you know, yeah. as a good, if he can bounce back, he, he and, you know, as a good young player in center field, uh, he and Soto make a great combination. He, Robles really struggled last year on, on offense and defense, but if he can bounce back, he's another potential superstar in that division. Yeah, no, no, no question about it. Where, where would you hit Robles in the lineup if, if you're if you're Davey Martinez and writing a lineup card every day? Well, from what I you know, I, I listened to the game last night. It sounds like they're going to probably bat him leadoff, which um, uh, they had him bat ninth last night, which they felt like is kind of a double leadoff. But I think they're going to give him a shot to bat leadoff, um, at least see how it goes. That way, they can hit Turner. Turner is a great Turner is your prototypical leadoff hitter but he's also productive so um they can slot Turner and, and Soto after Robles so I think they're going to give Robles a shot at the leadoff spot yeah that that lineup I think is is gotten better this offseason with the additions of Bell and and Schwarber 
I, I saw Schwarber hit an absolute bomb. I was at a Mets Cubs game. Uh, actually, it was a playoff uh, playoff game, NL uh, NLCS game, and Schwarber just hit a ball to the moon. I just I, I I'm so impressed with his power. And if he can just limit the strikeouts, right, at least a little bit, get on base a little bit more, and that power, those power numbers will be there. Yeah, I, I got a chance to listen to Billy Ripken on MLB.com uh, last week, and they were comparing the Nationals lineup to Game 7 of the 2019 World Series to the opening day lineup of this year, and Ripken uh, did not, you know, was not very complimentary. So, really? and, and, and number one is Anthony Rendon. That, right. that's, the, that's the number one reason. But you're right, Greg, if you compare – this year's lineup to last year's, they've gotten more protection for Juan Soto this year. Yeah, I, I, w- I would think so. That That's for sure. Let's let's switch gears and just touch on the O's a little bit uh, because they, they do open up too next week. Everybody opens up uh, and gets this Major League Baseball season started. It, it's, to me, a very interesting place for the O's because I think you've probably got three teams in the AL East that, that want to compete or trying to compete and the Yankees, the Jays, and the Rays. But then you have Boston, who took a little bit of a step back last year. You kind of don't know what they'll be this this season. And then you've got Baltimore, who is in the midst of its of its rebuild. That's that's just the way to say it. But I think they have some young pieces that, that people can start to get excited about. Yeah, and, and fans have had they have a chance to go down to Norfolk and see the AAA team this this summer. Um, you know, a lot of their good young players and good young hitters have come through there the last few years. I mean, last night, Austin Hayes had an incredible spring training game. Uh, again, spring training. He had a, I think he had a homer, a double, and a triple. Threw out two, threw out two guys, you know, from, from the outfield. Um, he's a really good player. Ryan Mountcastle, who was at Norfolk in 2019, really good hitter. Um, and, of course, Trey Mancini. Uh, we'll talk about him later. Um, really good. So they have some really nice young players. Um, and pitching is a concern. They went out and got some veteran guys, but we, you know, the Orioles are not going to contend for a playoff spot. We know that, but they, they are probably doing what they should be doing and building around younger players and trying to develop their farm system. Yeah. I, I know it doesn't seem probably that long ago for O's fans that they had Machado and Adam Jones and, and they had teams that were very, very good playoff teams. I think people forget that they were in the playoffs a couple of years in a row there in Baltimore under Buck Showalter, different regime now though. And they're trying to get things pointed in the right direction. I'll be curious as, as a Met fan, what the heck happens with Matt Harvey and the O's? How about that? He, he made the team. So yes, that, as, yeah, that, yeah, that's he made the point. Yeah, he was added to the roster on, we're taping on Friday. He was added to the roster on Thursday. Um, kind of a surprise, I think, to, to a lot of people. He's probably not part of your long-term plans but for this year he might fit a role for them so yeah so uh, Matt Harvey lives to see another day yeah I think I think he could probably help some young players too knowing that all he experienced the ups the downs the 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 highest of highs right pitching in the world series being on the cover of sports illustrated and then the downfall of getting traded from the Mets to Cincinnati bouncing around from team to team and, and even into the minor leagues so I think there's probably some valuable lessons there the O's can take from having him on a roster and, and Felix Hernandez for that for that matter too two veteran players who have been through a lot Hernandez more long term success than Harvey of course. Sure. Okay, yeah. David, are you ready to to do some over unders and some predictions as we wrap up this week's edition of the Baseball in the Valley podcast? 
I'm I'm ready to embarrass myself, Greg. Uh, we hope that fans listen. If they want to keep this for six months, they can come back and realize how bad my predictions were. So hey, well, hey, you, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> if people are going to hold me to my baseball predictions. That's that's fine, I guess. I, I guess that's yeah, fine. yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Uh, let's start with the over unders. The career batting average for national star Juan Soto is 295. So let's use that as the over-under number for his batting average in 2021. Uh, 295 batting average for Juan Soto, David. Over or under? I'm going to go – I'm going to go – he's going to do better than that. I, okay. think he'll, I think he'll have better protection this year. The guy is so good. He's only going to get better. I mean, I don't want to say he's going to hit less than 295. So I, I think he's going to do better than that. Yeah, I think he goes over too. He, he's even as a Met fan, it's just like you, you gotta you gotta watch the guy hit because he's he's so unbelievable. He is a generational talent at the plate, uh, Juan Soto of the Nationals. So I'll go over the two ninety five, uh, and he has probably an MVP caliber season for 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 Washington. That's for sure. Let's move on to the next one, over or under a two point eight zero ERA for. Nationals ace Max Scherzer. That's his national career ERA. Uh, national league career ERA. Na- na- nationals with the with the. Oh, nationals. Okay, okay, okay. Good, good point. I'll probably go over there too. Again, it's crazy to think that Max Scherzer will have an ERA around three, but um, I'm I'm gonna say he will. So. Yeah, I I think he'll probably go over that too. Not maybe not by much, but uh, yeah, I, I think with. You, you never want to cite Max Scherzer's age, but uh, that, you know, he is, he is an older pitcher now. So yeah. you got to go. Yeah. I think I would go over there. We'll wrap the Nats with this number, 84 and a half wins. That's a Vegas odds thing for the nationals, 84 and a half wins for Washington. I'm going to go over, but not by much. Um, you know, maybe I would pick them 86, 87. I don't see them winning 90. 90 might be the top for them. So I'll go over with that. Yeah, I think I'm going to go over as well. I I think there are three teams that can contend in that division. The Nats, the Braves, and the Mets. I think Washington's going to be in the mix there with with those two other teams in the NLE. So I'm going to go over uh, the 84 and a half for Washington. Let's go look at the O's now. 25 home runs for Orioles slugger Trey Mancini, who's back in I think a lot of people would be rooting for the over here, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. And I, I got to see, hit one to right field the other night down in Sarasota. Um, he's been looking really good for, for missing uh, the last year. I'll go a little bit under. Um, I think he'll hit 20. I think what you have to look there is he might need some days off, and they asked him about that. You know, everybody, wants, the manager might go up to him and say, hey, do you need a day? So, um, but no, I think he'll hit around 20, 22. I'm going to go over. I, I, I'm a believer in Mancini. I, I think he's going to get it done and, and be a nice, uh, be a really nice story. One of the great stories of the year for, for all of Major League Baseball, not just Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's something people can root for. I'm, I'm going to root for it. Why not? Why not? Mm-hmm. How about this? You got the two veteran pitchers we talked about, Matt Harvey, Felix Hernandez. Ten wins combined for Harvey and Hernandez. What do you think, David, over or under? I'm going to go under, I think, I think they're going to, I hate to use the word bomb out, but you know, a starter has to throw five innings, right? That's and, true. You know, and with the Orioles, just, they're just not a great team. I'm going to go under. I, I, 
<laughs> I know you're a former, I know you're a Mets fan. I don't see Harvey winning more than three or four games. I mean, okay, I'm gonna so. go under two, but but okay. for a different reason. I think at least one of the two will be a serviceable starter this year. And what are the O's going to do with a serviceable starter this season? They're probably going to trade them. So ah. I'm going to go. I'm going to go under. I thought about this a little bit. I'm going to go. I'm going to go under ten wins uh, for for Matt Harvey and, and Felix Hernandez. I, I think one of them's probably getting dealt before the deadline to a contender. So you're not going to count the wins that they accumulate for somebody else. I probably should have said that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to count the wins they, they they get for somebody else. Okay. Okay. You think that's fair? You think that's a fair assessment? No, I, I think you're. That's a good point. I I, I would probably pick Hernandez as yeah. more of a. Yeah, I, I think that would make. I think he'll have a better year. I think he potentially could get traded. Um, you know, the chances of Harvey being with the team in October. Past history, I'm I'm not too confident, but yeah, I think I think we're both uh, I think we're going under there is probably a good idea. And then finally, 64 and a half wins for Baltimore again. Vegas speaking here, over or under? You know, it would be easy just to say under, but I'm going to go over. I know it's a tough division. I I know that they have zero percent chance of making the playoffs, according to some people. I think they have. You know, I think they're building in the right way. They've got a I've heard this the other day, a lot of players with chips on their shoulders that want to prove other people wrong. So I'm going to go over just by a little bit. That's totally fair. I am going to take the over also, even if it's 65, that still counts as over. Uh, So I I think, and they surprised a few folks last year, I think. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go over. Why not? Uh, Maybe they are that young talent. You never know. Sometimes it's ahead of the curve and ahead of the timeline. Hey, they, they only won one game less than the Washington Nationals last year for, for exactly. what it's worth, for what it's worth. So, so there, there you go. No, that's, that's, that's good enough reason for me. Obviously it's a longer season uh, yeah. this year, but uh, I'll, I'll use it for a reason. Why not? All right, David, it's, it's prediction time. Uh, as we start to look at the national league and the American league, where, where do you want to start? You want to start in the AL or the NL? But we can start with the AL. Yeah. All right, we'll start with the American League. Uh, who do you like in the AL East? I just read this morning that the Yankees are worth $7 billion. Um, so I'm not going to go against a team worth $7 billion. So I'm going to pick the Yankees. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to pick the Yankees too. They, they have a very good lineup, and if everybody stays healthy, they're going to be very tough to pitch against. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's – yeah, I think that's fair. In the AL Central, I'll go first. I like the Twins in the AL Central. I, I think I think the Twins. A lot of people talking about the White Sox and how good they are. Uh, until I, I think the Twins are are, are going to be just as good as they were last year. I, that's that's a good pick. Um, I think they're the Twins are kind of like uh, Tampa Bay. They overachieved, but I, I'm going to go with the White Sox. Okay. Um, you know they they have they've had some injury problems, but you know Lucas Giolito. At the, at the top of the rotation, um, a new manager, um, some really good players. I'm going to go with the White Sox. Yeah, Tony La Russa, now the manager of the White Sox, in case you missed that this offseason. What about in the AL West, David? Uh, who do you like out there? Again, I mean, we're on the East Coast. I don't see enough. <laughs> I don't stay up late to watch them. But every year, Oakland somehow manages to play in October. They overachieve um, great front office. I'm going to go with Oakland. I'm going to go with Houston. 
Uh, I think the Astros with this group, give it one more run, right? Correa is a free agent at the end of the year. Right. Uh, so they, they, they just signed McCullers to an extension. Uh, I think they, they give it one more shot and, and squeak out that division out there. Uh, so I like the Astros in the West. Who, who are your two wild card teams in the AL? I'm going to go with Tampa Bay and Houston. Okay. Interesting. I, I almost was going to go with Toronto, but I think you convinced me that I better go with Houston. Um, Toronto. <laughs> yeah. Of course, Toronto had a yeah. nice pick. Yeah. It was, was Springer. Right. So, I guess I'll go with Tampa Bay and Houston as wild card. Yeah, it's tough to pick against the Rays. I went White Sox and A's. Your reason for the A's is very similar. I think the White Sox, I might have liked them to win the division if uh, they they didn't just suffer that Eloy Jimenez injury, right? Right, yeah, that's that's a big one, yeah. So that's what I like in the AL. So I have the Yankees, the Twins, the Astros, and then the White Sox and the A's. You have the Yankees, the White Sox, the A's, and then the Rays and the Astros. That's correct. Correct. Okay, so we're on the record with the AL. Okay. And now the National League. Let's start in the National League East. David, who who do you like? I'm going to go with the Braves. Until somebody proves otherwise, I'm going to go with the Braves. Um, I I think I told somebody in the last season, I think the Braves could win the division five years in a row. That's probably a little bit – exaggeration but I'm going to go with the Braves to win the division I can't disagree with you until somebody knocks them off right you kind of got to pick the Braves so I'll go with Atlanta also in the central I like the Cardinals what about you I'm going to go with the Brewers oh Um, the Brew Crew why why do you like the Brewers I you know I like their manager um again they're they're kind of like Tampa Bay and Minnesota you know smaller market Players have something to prove. Maybe they don't have as much pressure on themselves. They're not in major markets. I, you know, it just seems like Milwaukee is always there every year too. So, no, that's a, that's a great point. And they've they've got a good lineup too. I, I like what they they have on offense. And you, you got to think Yelich is going to bounce back and have a big year. I think so too. Yeah, I mean they've got some really good players, and he and he's one of them. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. Cardinals, Nolan Arenado addition, Brewers are good. Uh, so that should be a competitive top of the division, I would think. Sure. Yeah, That's yeah. A fair way yeah. To say it. Uh, what about in the West? Any surprise here? You on Los Angeles? Yeah, just chalk on this one. You got to go with the Dodgers. Um, just yeah, it's it's just too much too much talent to to bet against there. Yeah, I I I'm with you. I'm with you there. I'll take LA also. And what about the wild card? Where who who do you got for the wild card teams? I'm going to go with the Cardinals. Um, and believe it or not, I'm going to go with the Mets. Um, not, not just to make you happy, but you know, there's always going to be a surprise. I mean, you know, they got Lindor, they've got some really good pitching. If it can stay healthy, you know, to, you know, it might only take what 85 wins to get a wild card spot. Right. Right. So, so I'll go with the Cardinals and Mets for my wild card spots. I have the Mets also. I don't know if that's a Homer pick or an educated pick, probably somewhere in between. Uh, then, Then I'll go with the Padres for the second wild card that it was between the Padres and the Brewers for that second wild card for me. Yeah. The Padres, that's a good pick. I mean, they, boy, that's, it's hard to, to go against them. So, so, okay. So now that we've made our division predictions, what's your world series matchup and winner? I'm going to go with the Braves and the Yankees, which would be a repeat of, we saw that a couple of times in the late 1990s, I believe. So I'm going to go with the Braves and the Yankees. I'm going to have the Braves winning the World Series for the first time since, I think, 1995. 
The Yankees haven't won it since around 2000. So I'm going to go with Atlanta over New York in the World Series. Wow. Okay. I'm, I'm going to have, put, have to put the Braves in the World Series too, as much as wow. it me. This is like the painful, truthful, <laughs> uh, I guess, counseling session, you could call it. I've got the Braves and the Yankees also. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so we're on the same page there. And I'm going to take Atlanta to beat New York. Uh, wow. So wow. That, that hurts me as a Mets fan, knowing that I'll have to watch those two teams play in October. Uh, <laughs> but that's, that's the prediction. Let's hope I'm wrong. I, I thought I was uh, – boy, I'm really kind of surprised. And we did not talk before we taped this. No. So, yeah, so I, I thought I was making a big leap with the Braves winning the World Series. So I'm kind of glad you picked them too. Well, they were what? They were what? One out, one inning away from beating the Dodgers last year? In, right. In, in yeah. So uh, I think with them and what they've got coming back, that as long as they stay healthy, uh, they're going to be tough to beat. Yeah, no, they've, they've got a really, you know, the, the pitching depth may be on the starting end. Uh, yeah. And again, we didn't talk about this, but with last year being such a, a weird season, you know, we may not see starting pitchers throw, you know, as many innings as they would have in 2019. So you have to throw that into the mix. So mm -hmm. the depth of a, an organization's pitching, not just with the opening day roster, but throughout the year is going to be key for all these teams. Yeah, I, I trust that Braves GM there. I think he's he's done a really good job since getting there. Uh, and I, I would trust him to make a move, make a deadline move for some pitching if, if they feel like they need it. Uh, so that's something to think about also. But, okay, so that was our Major League Baseball over-under prediction. So, yeah, when we're doing one in October before the World Series, let us know how we did. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to remember it. But, David, uh, good to talk with you. Got a lot of baseball going on in the area. It won't be long before the high schools start. But like we said, we'll try to get somebody on and talk about the O's a little bit. Uh, we'll have our high school writer, Cody, on at some point to, to get, talk about the high school stuff as, as they get going, because there's probably five or six D1 uh, signees, commits, however you want to term it, uh, in the area at the local high school. So that's something we definitely want to get into. Uh, but until then, uh, David, thanks so much for, for joining me again. It was a lot of fun, Greg. Thank you so much. All right. So we'll be back next time, probably a couple of weeks, maybe a week or two uh, until we do another one. But uh, for David Driver, I'm Greg Medea, the DNR, saying thanks for tuning in.